while it offends the idealist in me as an attorney myself or anyone who works for me wants to be part of a system where we think someone who isn't guilty of an offense enters a guilty plea. But unfortunately, that's the nature of holding people in jail who haven't been convicted of anything. There's a coercive nature when people want their freedom. Um, and that's, that's human nature um, to want your freedom. Let's say that person, however, is on bond. There's not the same incentive to enter a plea to get out of jail. They have the ability to wait and see if the case is going to be docketed and, you know, assist their lawyers working on their defense. It's just different outcomes for people who are incarcerated at the time of plea versus those who aren't. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. I have said both at CJCC meetings and with other county officials, in my role as public defender, I don't believe it's appropriate for me to say whether or not we need a new facility. Um, that's, that's, not, that's not my decision to make. However, I do think it's important and is very much my role to talk about what that facility might look like in the event it's built. Um, I, I believe that the study that was done um, discussing, you know, a new jail, a new facility in Anderson County, that the recommendation was for a rated capacity of either close to or just over a thousand inmates. And I can tell you from, and I realize this is anecdotal, but from personal experience, you know, working in Spartanburg County, working in Anderson County, being, you know, being in the public defense system in the state as long as I have, if you build a thousand bed facility, you're going to have a thousand and twenty inmates. Um, I don't know how to explain it other than to say nature abhors a vacuum. But I did see that phenomenon and lived it in Spartanburg County when I was there. They opened a, a brand new facility and never shut down the old one. Um, so they had the, you know, the, the new facility and it filled up and the old one continued in operation. And, and you know, ultimately it just it drives increased detention. You know, I may digress here just a, a bit, but there is a national m movement um, you know, part, part of it's from a legal st structure, part of it is from a policy structure, but regarding bail reform, there are a number of states that have tackled pretrial detention. Um, some of these are being done on a state level, some are being done by public defender agencies, some are in private nonprofits. But I think we will see in my lifetime, if not my tenure as a public defender, um, meaningful reform on pretrial detention. And I think we need to be careful as a community to not overbuild our capacity. You know, I realize that Anderson County population is certainly different now in 2020 than it was in 1956, but I think that's only one metric that one needs to address when looking at a new facility and what needs need to be served there. How important do you do you think the voice of the CJCC 
is going to be when that discussion, because it eventually will happen. Right. How important will our voice be? And I say our, because we serve together. Yes. In that conversation, especially as they look at the number of beds, they look at what metrics we have hit as a council, as a county to create quote unquote reform and reduce recidivism. It's my hope that we are the most important voice in this discussion. I mean, I think that, the, you know, one of the reasons that the CJCC was formed was to be the voice that could provide data and, you know, evidence-based solutions. I mean, we're, we're not talking about an insignificant sum of money when you're, when, when you're discussing building a new detention facility. I think it's critical to understand what we can do out, outside of a facility-based model, but just what we can do to address incarceration, pretrial incarceration, uh, and, and those matters before a decision is made as to what a new facility should, should look like. In the idea of recidivism, the idea of a criminal justice coordinating council, um, you know, we're in a time period here on, on this recording, March 27th, as we're in the midst of a national pandemic with, with a public health crisis. And there are jails, including ours, across the country that are releasing inmates. Explain what that means and what is that all about as it relates, uh, how it impacts the public from your perspective as a public defender? Sure. Um, I had actually reached out to a number of our stakeholders. um, I want to say it was March 11th or 12th after talking to um, Major Bill Vaughn at at the detention center about preparedness for this outbreak. Um, Because one of the things, you know, if you read um, information from the World Health Organization, Prison populations are particularly susceptible to this virus because of close quarters. Uh, I don't think you have to go any farther than looking at cruise ships to understand how rapidly this virus can spread in a contained environment. And let me stop you right there. So let's. I want to get. I want you to keep on going. But when we talk about contained population, especially the Anderson County Jail, that's overpopulated by two hundred plus inmates, what does a typical cell look like? You, you have cells that are designed to hold X number of people holding X times two or X times three. The social distancing that we've all been encouraged to do by the CDC, um, by South Carolina DHEC, it's not physically possible to do that in the county detention center. There simply isn't enough space for any kind of social distancing to go on in that environment. And that, that's a facilities problem. I, please be clear, I'm not pointing any fingers at, at yeah, the, the personnel. Um, it's right, just... it's just, right, it's, it's a facilities problem. Um, and in that environment, you know, and of course, Two, the, the other layer to this is that the, the, the people who are incarcerated tend to be a little bit more fragile from a health standpoint as well. Um, most of the people who we represent have some underlying 
physical condition that also makes them more susceptible to this virus. Um, whether you're talking about high blood pressure or diabetes, they're, they're smokers. Um, you know, there are um, a, a number of things that, that make this population of people, in addition to being in very close quarters, more susceptible to the spread of this virus. And we have, as a system, and I will give um, credit to our solicitor's office, they as a team work to identify, um, along with us, cases of nonviolent, low-level offenders who could safely be released on a recognizance bond, given the urgent and emergency nature of the pandemic that we're all dealing with. Reducing the inmate population there is a critical step in preventing the, the spread of this, um, this virus. So we, we, we have worked together on that. So there were, um, there were a number of inmates who were released um, on consent bonds. And by consent, I mean, you know, where the, where the state and the defense um, agreed that the person could be released um, on a bond pending court. So this morning uh, on, on the bright side, our, our population was 317, which is a good thing. And, and that's, it's good for our community. It's, it's good for our jail. It's good for the safety of the, of the inmates and the personnel who, who continue to work in that facility um, during this pandemic. What do you think we'll learn from this pandemic to take back into the CJCC as we look at situations like this? Right. I, well, I, I hope this pandemic brings an opportunity with it to talk about pretrial detention, to talk about, you know, generally, how are we prosecuting cases? How are we prioritizing what we prosecute? Um, do we have the ability to make better decisions? Um, again, still with, you know, the community safety as, as a, as, as part of this decision-making process, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we will learn that we, we can be more liberal in our use of personal recognizance bonds um, to get people to court. Um, I know one of the things that CJCC in Charleston has now been successful in setting up, and I, I know that we're looking at it here, is a text reminder system for court appearances. I think we've all become pretty familiar with getting a text from your dentist or getting a text from your doctor reminding you of your appointment. It increases people's showing up for court, which is ultimately all a bond is, is supposed to do. A bond isn't supposed to decide whether you're guilty of a charge or not. A bond isn't supposed to decide anything other than whether you pose an unreasonable danger to the community or you are a flight risk. The bonding statute in South Carolina has been the same since I have practiced in criminal law. And those are the only two factors that are to be considered. And outside of the court finding that you, you pose an unreasonable danger or that you are a flight risk, state statute mandates a personal recognizance bond. So I'm hoping this is the opportunity for us to to maybe look in hindsight, you know, we will hopefully be able to gather some data from, 
from this, I don't want to call it a release experiment. I think it's what, you know, I think it's what we are required morally and legally to do in this situation. But it may also give us the opportunity to to look at this from a policy standpoint as we go forward. When you look at the work that we're doing together inside that room of people that are coming from different parts of the county, inside the criminal justice system, outside of the criminal justice system, but stakeholders, what about that makes you keep coming back each month and pushing? I love the work that we are doing. I love the work that we are trying to do as your public defender, um, because I I like to think that I'm not just the public defender for the clients we represent, but I'm also um, a community partner. Um, The health of our criminal justice system is critical to us as, as citizens, um, but to me as, as a public defender, as a, as a leader, um, I take seriously my role to protect my clients individually as, as they are sitting across my desk um, or sitting across from me at a table at the detention center. But, but for the overall representation of my clients in the system that we have. And I believe the conversations that we're having in Anderson County are important, necessary, and fruitful. I think it would be hard to continue, you know, taking time, which none of us seems to have quite enough of, to go to a meeting if, if you didn't feel like there was going to be some some benefit, but I will continue to go because I, I, I see the work that we've already accomplished. I see where we're trying to go. And in my role as head of this office, it's, it's critical that I be part of this discussion. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation surrounding recidivism in Anderson County CJCC. Interested to learn more? Check out the show notes to learn more about Anderson County CJCC. For more information about our show or other episodes, go to intersectionpodcast.com. That is intersectionpodcast.com. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.